And I'll be honest with you, as we were starting to kind of approach toward the uh, getting further on into the book of Acts, I started over the last week or two thinking, well, maybe, maybe we need to break this up and go somewhere else for a while and come back and finish up Acts. And uh, really just this week as I've been getting ready for this week's lesson and uh, this week's message and, and uh, next week's and stuff, I'll be honest, I'm more excited about what's happening in Acts over the next few weeks than uh, when we started in the beginning. Uh, I, I guess as I was thinking what was coming up, I was thinking, well, all that's left is Paul be moving around a bunch of places and going to jail. And then after that, I really started looking deeper and uh, like I say, I'm just excited about what God has for us today. And I trust that even when we pray after we read, that we'll each one just have this prayer. God, show me my sin. Show me my sin. What is it that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? You know, because all of us, if we're honest with ourselves and honest before God, we all have it. Right? <laughs> but let's look as, uh, as we look in Acts 19. Paul here was uh, at Ephesus and We'd already said last week it was the city that had the temple to die in there. You know, these people were obsessed with spirituality. They were obsessed with magic and the occult. And they really, with these folks uh, in Ephesus, it was something throughout the country that where they were, you know, they wanted to try to have their God or their spirit that they were uh, looking at be more powerful than others and you know and, and see if they can manipulate uh, spirits and manipulate people and that I mean they, they were really into this whole spiritual world world thing. You know as the church has went on, I'm afraid we have missed it and not realized how much the spirit world has uh, plays a part in our life. You know, we're told we don't battle against flesh and blood, right? But against powers, principalities. You know what? The reason uh, we need to look at what's going on around us, but you know, if we look at our country today, it seems like the, within the modern culture, we're becoming obsessed with spiritual things. But I'm not talking about spiritual things of God. Right? You know, now it's all about vampires and uh, zombies and all that. I mean, right? Can I tell the truth? Huh? You know, that's where they were at in Ephesus. They were trying to look at powers beyond themselves. And if we look, because what they were looking at and what was happening, they, they believed in uh, incantations and, and spells that they would cast on people. There was even a story about a, a fellow that he was this one powerful wrestler. You know, he was he couldn't ever defeat this other guy. And then they realized that this other fellow had incantations tied to his ankles, you know, and so they said, oh, no, that's unfair. And they took those off his ankles. And the guy was able to throw in 30 times, you know. 
I mean, they told stories of how these things were giving them power. And you say, well, do you believe anything like that? You know, if we look back when Jesus cast out the, the demons from the maniac of Gadara, he was a fellow that could not be held by chains because of the, the demons that was possessing him, right? But as we look, we'll see that God made a great move within the lives of these people. And after he began to move within the lives of the church and the Christians, his name was glorified. His name was magnified. And let's begin reading verse 11. We kind of preached a little bit of this last part, uh, last week, but we just kind of need to stop, start somewhere to, to get into where we're going. But let's everyone that will is stand and we'll read beginning with verse 11 and read down through about verse 17, and then we'll preach uh, 17 uh, to the end, or 17 through 20. Let's look. Verse 11, the Bible says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or ap aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sheva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all, the, uh, all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. God, I just pray today. Lord, as I've already asked everyone else to pray, God, Lord, show me my sin today. Lord, show me the things in my life that's hindering my fellowship with you. Show me the things, Lord, that I'm trusting in instead of trusting in you. Lord, I want today to be a milestone day in my life, in the life of the church. God, that we would turn from our wickedness. God, we'd follow you. Lord, I pray for your power to preach your word. Lord, let us be broken over our sin. Lord, help us to be broken over others who need to know you. God, work in this place in a powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated. You know, as we look in this passage, because these people were so interested in uh, unusual things, we see as we first begin this passage 
God did some unusual miracles through Paul. And some things that we may not understand and realize, but God was working through the life of Paul. Why? So that Paul would be exalted? No. So that the gospel would go forward. And as we see there in verse 17, you know, there the Jewish exorcists, they called and they said, they spoke to this one possessed with a demon and said, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. You know, they were just, they didn't know Jesus. They just, they didn't know the name. And the demon came back. We don't really realize it in the English so much. But he said, Jesus, I know. And the word he used there was a word that meant, I know him from experience. I've interacted with him before. They knew who Jesus was. And they said, Paul, I know. And the word there was a different Greek word. It meant, I know who he is. Not I know him from experience, but I've heard of him. I know he is. And he said, but you, he said, you're somebody else. We don't even know nothing about you. And they jumped on them, really trying to show that they were false. And they were glad, all seven of them, just to get out of their life. And what happened, even from this work of Satan, this work of this demon, people began to realize, well, the name of Jesus has power. Look at these things that are happening when Paul is preaching Christ. And when it's not something to do with Christ, look how that Satan prevails. You know, one thing we need to always keep in mind, and even when we went back to uh, the WANA conference back several months ago, and was I went to a conference about teaching kids, said, you need to always make sure that you let kids know that Jesus always wins. No matter what story you're teaching, out of the Old Testament or the New, you know what? Jesus always wins, doesn't he? He's always the winner. He's always the hero of everything through Scripture. It's all about Christ. And as we see here in verse 17, it said, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You know what? Fear came on all of them. And Christ's name was magnified. Why? Because they realized the power of the name of Jesus. And for us today, I think the first thing we need to see in this passage, I think we can see sin convicted. They realized that the things that they were depending on was not going to take them the distance they needed to go. It was only through Jesus. And you know, for us today, we need to realize that whatever we're depending on, whatever in your life that you're depending on, 
to gain your self-esteem or your uh, identity. If it's something outside Christ, it will fail. You know, these folks thought that as long as I've got my little spell book, I'll be all right. You know, for a lot of people today, they, they depend on a lot of things. And the question still comes back to you. What are you depending on? What are you relying on? What secret sin do you have in your life that you turn to to make yourself feel better? You know, for some people, it may be popularity. What everybody, everybody likes me. Or I want everybody to like me. You know, for some, it's pride. It's my way or it's no way. Right? Hmm? You go ahead and say amen or old me right there. You know, for others, it might be profanity. I just tell you, you may have a dirty mouth cussing. You may have a dirty mouth running other people down. Well, I don't ever cuss anybody. I don't ever cuss and say that word. Yeah, but I gossip about everybody in town. What's the difference? It may be pornography. You know something? That's something that, that is destroying our country today. We live in a, sin, a sex obsessed society. Right? No matter what you're selling, most of the advertisements, they put some alluring young lady on there, some good-looking guy like me, right? <laughs> no? Can we get that right? Huh? Why'd you laugh about that? <laughs> I mean, is it not right? That may be the thing that you're looking at, depending on. You know, for some, it's profit. It's all about the cash. People do anything and think as long as I've got money in the bank, everything's all right. For others, it may be pleasure. You live for self-gratification and whatever you can do for yourself. You know, for these people, when they finally saw God in all his glory, They realized what they were doing was not where they needed to be. And instead they became fearful. They were in awe of God. You know, if we look into the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, one of the wisest, probably the wisest man that ever lived, one of, if not the wealthiest men that ever lived, had anything he wanted. Had anything he could afford to get anything he wanted. Thousands of women. Riches beyond your imagination. Pleasures, anything he wanted. You know when he got to Ecclesiastes, you know what he wrote? Verse number one. The works of the pre the words of the preacher, the son of David, King of Jerusalem, King in Jerusalem. He's Introducing himself, he said it to me. David's son, the king. He said, vanity of vanities. 
says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know what he said? All of this is in vanity. And if you go back through and you begin reading Ecclesiastes, the more you read, he goes on, he says, you know, all the knowledge I've obtained, it's all in vain. All the wealth I got, it's all in vain. All the pleasure I've seen, it's all in vain. It will not profit anything. And it gets down to chapter 12, the last chapter in Ecclesiastes. And it starts out, I tell you what, it's a good verse we need to remember. And actually, when I was a young fella, like a young child, even before I was a teenager, one thing that folks used to do that they don't do anymore, or you don't see done much. I remember when I was a kid, one thing that was very, something people did, they get pastors and preachers and stuff come up, and you sign my Bible. Yeah, anybody ever seen that, heard that? Everybody, oh well, there you go, huh? Yeah, right? Now, you know, you sign my Bible, you know, it didn't do much good. But anyway, well, and actually, the pastor I had when I was a child, he wrote, he signed his name and wrote out beside it, Ecclesiastes 12.1. And the Bible said, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you shall say, I have no pleasure in you. You know, when Solomon he said, everything here in this world is, is just vain. There's no reason for it. He said, well, what you need to do, you need to remember God when you're young. He goes on down in verses 2 through 12. He says, verse uh, 3, in the day when the keepers of the house trembled. You need to remember God before this happened. You need to remember God when the strong men bow down. And he continues, and he said, as all these things, he said, for verse 5, for man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. You know what Solomon said? Eventually, one day you're going to die, and you're going to go to your eternal home, which whatever it is, heaven or hell. And he said, the folks that were mourning for you, they're going to end up going on back in about their business. But he goes on, he said in verse 8 again, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. But as he moves on down to verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, here these folks, when they saw the glory of God, they realized everything they were trusting in was of nothing. Solomon, when he looked at everything, he said, the stuff in this world is not worth it. What we need to remember is that we need to fear God and keep His commandments. We need to look to God. You know, that's, I think for us today, we need to remember that. But not only do we see there in verse uh, 17, sin convicted, 
In verse 18, I think we can see sin confessed. The Bible says, goes on and says, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Let's look at where we're at right now. Who was it that's coming confessing? Many of those who that were lost and sorry and low down and drunkards. No, who was it confessing? Those who had believed. You know what we need, church? You know what we need to do, members of Hemptown Baptist? You know what we need to do? Folks that call the name of Christ. We need to see God in His glory, and then we need to begin to confess our sins. The Bible, as we look, He said, Many who have believed came confessing their sins. You know, if we look there, it was the Christians. They were ones, those who had believed, they were still had these secret things in their life that they didn't want anybody to know about. You know, one thing that the Ephesians believed, a belief there at Ephesus, was if you had a, a spell or incantation, you know, that part of the power in it was for nobody to know it but you. And when you share it with somebody else, all of a sudden it lost its power. And here they realized that all these things I'm holding on to, even though I believe in Christ, there's things over here that I just got to hold that I, I just need to keep dear to me that nobody knows about, that I enjoy. They realized that's not what we need to do. The Bible said they confess them. You know, for you today, you got things in your life you need to confess. Let me tell you what. The answer, just go ahead and say, uh-huh. Right? Because if you're thinking, I want to say, uh-uh, one of those things that you got to confess is lying. Just go ahead and say, uh-huh. Right? What is it that we're holding on to? What is that secret? And at times we want to gloss over things and say, well, I have something just to hang over. No, you know what it is? It's sin. Right? Let's just go ahead and call it what it is. It's a sin in our life that we don't want anybody else to know about. We want to hold on to it and pet it and baby it and keep it alive. That word confess in the Greek, as it's used here, it has to do with professing something, to agree with it, and really even has the connotation of a promise. It's more than just saying what you're doing wrong. You're making an agreement that you realize what you're doing is wrong, and not only are you realizing what you're doing wrong, you're making a promise that you're not going to continue doing what's wrong. Here, they confessed. They admitted. They, they, they realized and wanted to say the same thing about their sin that God said about their sin. You know, if we look through Scripture, the Old Testament was written 
in Hebrew. But even before Jesus came, it was translated from Hebrew into Greek because there were so many Jews that could no longer speak Hebrew because they were scattered abroad throughout all the known world at that time. And when it was translated into Greek, this same Greek word confess was used in Daniel chapter number 9. Let me just take you back there what was happening at that point. Daniel in chapter 9 and begin warning, uh, beginning with verse number 1. Daniel tells us when it was. It was the first year of the reign of King Darius. And Daniel comes back and he said, I was reading God's word. He was reading in the prophet Jeremiah. And let's look at where Daniel was at at the time. Daniel was living in Babylon because the Israelites had been carried into captivity because of their sin, yes. They were carried into captivity and as Daniel began to read in God's word, he realized from Jeremiah that they were only going to be in captivity 70 years. And Daniel realized the time of their captivity was nearly over. He realized it was about time for them to go home, back to Israel. And you know what the Bible said in verse 3? When he, through reading God's word, God showed him that he was about to do something. Verse 3, he said, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and application supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord that my God, uh, my God and made confession and say, then, then you can read the prayer there, Daniel prayed. You know what happened with Daniel? Daniel, when he saw that God was about to do something, the first thing he started doing, he, he realized he needed to confess. And for Daniel, it wasn't just a little, God, forgive me of all my sins. You know what Daniel started doing? It said he prayed. He was with prayer, supplications, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. He was really humble. He came to the end of his self. And he said, God, I'm confessing you. What if today each one of us confessed with that vigor, that humility, as Daniel did? You know, if you go on through the book of Daniel, as you see him, God showed him things that still hadn't came to pass yet, but that will after the rapture of the church. He was one ready to confess before God, repent of where he was wrong. And you know, if we look with Daniel confessing in such a way, 
And Daniel being the one, the man he was, how much more do we need to confess? You know, the question today is this. As far as at this point, what are you holding on to? What is it that, that has you captured? What is it that you don't want anybody to know about, but it's the thing that you turn to to find your fulfillment in other things? You know what you need to do? You just need to confess that. For the Christians there, that word, their deeds, for them, that was basically, they were saying, I'm turning loose. I'm going to show you my incantation. I'm going to show you my spells. I'm going to show you what I was depending on. What is it that you're depending on? If it's anything outside Christ, it will not stand. You know, the last thing I think we can see in this passage, we saw the sin, they were convicted, the sin was confessed. I think the last thing we see is the sin cleansed. Look on down in verse number 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. You know, if we look right here, the Christians, after they confessed, they eliminated any possibility that they would go back to that sin. And how many of us, we want to confess before God, but we want to still hold something in reserve that if this don't work out, if this God thing don't work out, I can always go back to this sin I've got to hold up. Right? You know, I'm going to confess, God, I'm going to give up alcohol, but I'm not going to throw away that bottle of liquor in the bottom cabinet because I might need a drink. Go ahead and say amen, Rosalie. God, I'm going to give up pornography. I'm going to quit watching them dirty movies, but I'm going to keep this one tape just in case I need to go back and see something. Right? God, I'm going to give up pornography, but I'm going to keep my tape alone. You know, something used to, people thought folks was crazy for doing things like giving up their TV and turning off their cable. And that's what, and you know what? They might have had it right. Because if you never have the opportunity to turn something like that on, you don't have to worry about falling into that scene. Right? You know, for us, I wonder if we're ready to do away with any chance that we engage in that sin again. We need to put some guards about in our life to keep us from putting ourselves in a place where we will uh, engage in sin. They eliminate the chance of returning to sin. You know, in the past, they had their spells. They had their books of magic. They had, but what they did, they burned them all. There, there was no chance that this was going to go back. It was Christ or nothing. It was they had put all their trust in Jesus. And you know, today I wonder, what are we trusting in besides Christ? What sin is it in our life? You know, if we look in the book of 1 Kings and chapter number 19, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we can see 
Uh, Elijah, just before this, has went up on the Mount Carmel. He's uh, prayed. God sent down fire. He killed all these prophets of Baal. Then uh, Bashi, uh, 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 come on, help me out. Uh, Jezebel, there you go. Jezebel got on the run after him. He runs. He goes into a place by himself. He said, there's nobody left for me, God. God tells him, there's plenty of folks that still are serving me. You're not by yourself. And he goes and he tells him to go, uh, tells him several things to do. But the first thing Elijah did, does, he goes down to anoint the prophet that's going to uh, take his place. That's what he does. The one that's going to uh, come after him. And he goes to Elisha. And when Elisha, when he shows up, Elisha's out there in the field plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I tell you what, he was a wealthy farmer. Or he was the son of a wealthy farmer to be plowing with that much stuff. And Elijah, Elisha was even plowing with one set himself. When, uh, when he's called of God, and he says, Elijah throws his mantle on him, signifying that God is going to use you next. And Elijah said, wait, I can't go quite yet. And Elijah said, what does he have to do with me? I wasn't the one that called you. God called you to talk to me about it. You know what Elisha did? He didn't go home just to tell anybody about it. He went, the first thing he did, he went and killed oxen. And he used the implements he was plowing with to start the fire. And he burnt them and cooked them and said he boiled them. And he gave and fed everybody around him. You know what? Elisha wasn't ever planning on coming back and plowing again. He said, I don't need these two oxen anymore. I'm not going to be plowing anymore. I'm going to be prophesying. God's got a plan for me, and I'm going to be, I'm going to dedicate myself to it. He made it public. All these folks, can you imagine? Here, let me give you a steak dinner right here. It was from them ox I was found with. Well, Elisha, why don't you do that? Why don't you give? Because I ain't planning on doing this anymore. You know, for us, I wonder in our life. Have we come to the point where we realize we don't have to continue in our sin? We need to get to the point where we eliminate even the opportunity to turn away from Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We don't have to live in sin anymore. You know these Christians in Acts chapter 19. When they saw the glory of God. They had to go start confessing. You know I have this in my pocket. I have this, what did I wear around my neck? This is what I've been trusting. I'm going to trust in Christ. And here, let me just burn it, just show you. I'm not going to fool with it. Are you ready to do that today? Are you ready to whatever it is that God speaks to you about? 
Are you ready to eliminate that out of your life, fully trusting in Jesus? Verse number 9 of Romans chapter 6, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Because Christ died once to sin. We don't have to die to sin. He goes on with the life that he lives. He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You know, he goes on and says, we need to present ourselves as instruments of holiness to God. For us, how are we going to live our life? You know, as we look at this, it's something that's easily preached, but difficult And some would say, well, yeah, that sounds good. That's what I'm going to do. I just want to ask you one thing. Are you ready to pay the price? Because it's costly. The price of fully surrendering to Christ, it'll cost you something. Too many times and for too long, we try to act like it's all roses and stuff. No, it cost you something. And it may cost you more than you'll ever realize. You know, I remember that movie that the folks from now at Sherwin Baptist paid, I mean, made. And they, uh, it was the one, uh, and I don't remember if we call the name of it now. But where the fellow was trying to get his wife back, fireproof, right? And there the movie, he comes to a point where he realized, hey, this computer's what's tearing me up as far as pornography. So you know what he did? He carried that back and busted it up and tore it up. And some people think, goodness, that's radical. Goodness, that cost him several hundred dollars. You know what? If you commit to fully call it, follow Christ, it may cost you more than that. Look at what it cost these people in that day. 50,000 pieces of silver. And we may say, oh, that cost, us, cost them $50,000. No, exactly. We don't know exactly what he meant by pieces of silver. And there's, if you read different commentaries, there's different uh, views on what piece of silver he's talking about, what coins. But most with what I think what the book of Acts was talking about is 50 denarii. That was the cost of a day's wage. Let's just go ahead and go a little bit further what that means to us today. 50,000 days wages. You know what you work in a year if you got a job, a normal job stuff? You work about 250 days a year. You know what they're saying? It was worth 400 years of work. You know, let's go a little bit further just to you personally. What that would mean if you work from when you're, you know, in your late teens to work till you up into your late 60s, that's about 50 years of work. 
You know what he's you know what it said? It cost them four lifetimes of work. Let's think about this. For them, they were willing to give up everything four times more than they'd ever make in their lifetime. For Jesus. You know, at times we don't really get the significance in some of these things, do we? We want to try to pass it off and say, oh, well, uh, I remember years ago when I was a kid, there was people had record burnings and, and tape burnings and stuff. And, oh, goose, well, you know what? I threw away five hundred dollars worth of records. No, you missed the point. It's going to cost you your lifetime. Are you ready to give it all up for Jesus? That's what they were willing to do. Let's be honest. I would love it. If it closed this service, I knew that everybody would say, yes, I'll give it all up for Christ. But you know what it won't give? Mm-hmm. You know, if we look at what happened on in Acts chapter number 19, verse 20, the Bible says, so the word of the Lord grew mighty. Look at those last two words. And prevail. When they surrendered all to Jesus, they prevailed. They had victory. The word of the Lord grew, and they won. You want to win today? You need a win. You hear about folks, yes, and this coach needs a win over this school, or we're going to get fired. You need a win in your life. Surrender it all to Jesus. That's what the church did there in Ephesus. And the word of the Lord grew. God made a great impact. No, if we would surrender to Him, if we'd be willing to give it all up for Him. I think we've experienced a revival in this country. We're going to have a time of prayer and a hymn of invitation. And as we do, I just want to ask what sin is it in your life that's holding you back? As we said again, we all have them. What is it? What is it that's holding on to you? You realize that Christ is more powerful than that Through what he did on the cross, we can be forgiven. Because what he did on the cross, because his resurrection, we don't have to live in that sin anymore. Are you willing to confess, tell God, your sin? First John chapter 1. The Bible said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
be willing to confess. Get her, be willing to cleanse yourself. Are you willing to eliminate it from your life? Are you willing to take away any chance that you'd fall back into that sin? We're going to have a time of prayer. We want the altar will yield. If you would like to come and pray, come and stop with God. The altar will yield. Some will say, but if I go down there, people will know I'm confessing my sin. You know what? Praise God. I'd rather be down here confessing my sin than back there not. Right? <coughs> what will they think of me? So that's your sin and pride and popularity. That's what's holding you back. Lord, I just pray. God, I pray you work in this place in a mighty way God, help us all to realize the importance, God, of living our life before you. Lord, help us realize our time in this earth is short. God, I pray, as I pray, would be God show us our sin, show me my sin. Lord, I would pray that I can really confess, Lord, cleanse my cleanse the way God I would not fall back into this. Lord, I pray that you work in each life here today. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand as we sing the altar is open.